Now, we're going to balance our whole conversation when it comes to vaccinations. And we have been vaccination heavy indeed uh, on this programme uh, since it began. And we've had uh, various speakers join us on the programme who have spoken against uh, the vaccine. And uh, yeah, they've tried to stack it up indeed. Now we see that uh, parents have some concerns over children getting the vaccine. But one man indeed who's, um, I'm told, the voice of reason in this is a man called Ivor Cummins. And uh, effectively, what he has done is he has many years ago taken control of his own health, where he had a blood disorder, and unfortunately, he wasn't feeling May West on it, the best on it. So he took control of that. But to tell us his story and uh, his thoughts on and uh, the vaccine, he joins me uh, this morning uh, on the line. Ivor, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Keith. Great Thanks. to be here. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. Go back a little bit. I mean, um, you are indeed... Um, you're a chemical engineer and uh, you got a degree in UCD in 1990. Yes, indeed. I did the biochemical stream and I worked in medical device, FDA regulated for five years and then high volume products for the next 25. Uh, but the key thing was I've always been ultra technical. So I became a master technologist. I was also a manager of people and led teams in complex problem solving, multi-factor for a couple of decades. So I was kind of in a very good place to solve my own health issues eight years ago. And then when Corona blew up, I realized that something was amiss, to say the least. Before we go to Corona, let's go back to your own situation. Um, you had a problem with your blood. Oh, yes. I had high GGT, a liver enzyme, and I had high cholesterol, and I had high serum ferritin. Uh, but because I went to three doctors in succession, because of my nature, I wanted to know the answer to two key questions. A, what are the implications of these high readings? And B, what could I do to resolve them? So I couldn't get the answers on three doctors in sequence. So I began to research myself, which I always do when I'm introduced to a new problem where the team is struggling, shall we say. And within a few weeks, I had uh, resolved the issue. It was carbohydrate material metabolism, excessive carbohydrates in my diet, essentially driving insulin resistance. So in six to eight weeks, I switched to a low carb diet and I dropped 30 pounds in weight, which was a nice side benefit. Uh, but I resolved all the blood markers perfectly. 30 pounds? Yeah, I, I discovered as well that the appetite control system is very, very damaged from refined carb and processed food. So when you switch to a proper real foods diet, uh, your appetite control becomes exquisite. So I actually began to skip meals with impunity because I tend to work around the clock. So skipping meals was useful in terms of productivity too. So a mixture of that diet and the accompanying fasting that occurred by default, uh, the weight fell off me. So fast forward then to COVID. Now COVID came searching onto my uh, screen on the 12th of March uh, 2020, 2020. Um, and I had, I'd heard about it the Christmas beforehand, but that the 12th of March is when the kind of the muck hit the van here. Um, tell me your experience and what your thought process is. Right. Well, if you go back to the start and remaining brief, so my wife began to bring this up in March and I had already seen the date of her Diamond Princess cruise ship. So I did my mathematical tot and I realized it would be like a severe flu equivalent and that it would affect the aged and frail overwhelmingly by a factor of a thousand over the young. 
and that, you know, it was going to be sad. There would be many passings, but no more than a severe flu season, uh, largely speaking. So I explained this to her. And that was that until the lockdown started. And then I began to dig in really deep because I knew from my existing knowledge that lockdowns would not really affect uh, to a great degree uh, influenza-like viral transmission uh, for many reasons that are quite complex. So when they did the lockdowns, which essentially copied China, and I was very cognizant of this, we had Western guidelines for pandemic management, which were designed to accommodate uh, an epidemic far greater than this one, actually. And they're the WHO 2019 pandemic guidelines and the Irish and UK guidelines and action plans largely kind of corroborate with those. And we dumped them all, threw them all in the bin. This was clear as day. And we copied China. And that was at the uh, behest of Bruce Aylward in the WHO. They basically said, look at China. They showed a normal viral curve that goes up and down. And they said, China did that with lockdowns. The world must do the same. So I realized, hold on, we're dumping all of our science and copying China. Now that's worrying. And then as things got worse and worse and the season ended in Northern Europe, around last May 2020, everything collapsed. And then we continue with restrictions, right, for a seasonal virus. And then we bring in mandatory masks in June, July, when the ICUs are empty. So as you can imagine, I'm beginning to wonder now, why did science die and, and who exactly killed it? Can I, I suppose we have to be very cautious here, Ivor. And I mean, you, you've, you, I mean, you've been referred to as the voice of reason on this one, but a lot of people have lost loved ones. A lot of people have been extremely sick during COVID. Uh, a lot of people, as I said, have lost loved ones. A lot of people didn't get a chance to say goodbye to loved ones because at the beginning, if they died, they were put into a body bag and they were buried and that was it and there was no further viewing of them. So we have to be cognizant of that as we talk about this this morning. Absolutely, Keith, and I'm highly cognizant of that and was since the start. But remember that a lot of the tragedy uh, is via the implementation of measures which breached all of our previous pandemic guidelines. So like, it's like not what, all the virus. No, like what? Give me an example. Well, the example of isolating elderly people behind screens and leaving their last few months be extremely painful. I mean, all of that was not just the virus. That was the path we chose to take. How do you and mean I leaving them behind who, screens? Are you seeing in hospitals, not allowing visitors in, family members in to be with them? Oh, yeah, and in nursing homes, et cetera, et cetera, and what you referred to in terms of funeral arrangements also. So all of that was policy rather than the virus itself per se. But I think we have to keep in mind that just to I'll give a couple of quick facts. So in 2020 in Ireland from the CSO and from RIP.ie, approximately 32,000 people passed, and that's relatively normal. 2018 was essentially the same figure. And in the spike month of April 2020, where we were all naturally very worried, um, you know, the numbers who died were around 3,700. But January 2018 was around 3,650. So it's not incomparable 2020 to 2018. So it is a tough virus, absolutely, very nasty, particularly for the aged frail. But it is not out of step with prior severe flu seasons. And I think that's where we've lost sight. And are people listening to the argument that you're putting on the argument, the discussion that you're putting forward, uh, Ivor Cummins? 
Well, you're talking about a handful of doctors, surgeons, professors, a smallish percentage, and you're up against 24-7 propaganda from the main media. So, sadly, to get reach is very difficult. And also there is massive censorship, which exploded into the world scene in March 2020 for a first time. So it is a challenge. Now, if you go to my... massive censorship? Oh, there's enormous censorship on YouTube. So in March 2020, the CEO of YouTube came out and astonishingly said, anyone who says anything that conflicts with the WHO will be taken down. And since then, we've seen... But you're saying we threw out the WHO guidelines for the pandemic. We threw them out when we adopted the Chinese method. Exactly. And then said that the people who did that could not be questioned anymore. That questioning, discussion, debate, which is the lifeblood of science, is now essentially over in in many vectors, which also got my attention too, because I began to say... How could they dump their guidelines, copy China, and then say you can't question us even in an open free speech manner? So you can see that this is quite sinister from the start. Well, why is Dr. Michael Ryan, indeed, who's, uh, he lives in Galway, well, did live in Galway, um, why is he not coming out with these facts that you're giving to me this morning? Well, we have seen what I would perceive as a vast amount of institutional kind of corruption uh, of a sort. Now, not I'm not saying based on money or bribes. It's based on institutional outlook. So the WHO live for pandemics. And in 2009, during the swine flu kind of debacle, uh, they actually met with leaders in pharma. And this was documented in a Spiegel article. And they decided to take the severity clause out of the pandemic definition. So that shows an intent that's less than honest. And that was back in 2008, 2009. And basically, you know, the pandemic is an enormous uh, generator of revenue for countless industries and also an enormous boosting of the WHO presence in the world. So there's lots of institutional drivers that are not related to direct corruption, but they're just how corporations work. And the WHO is not a government elected body. It's private industry in a sense. So can I ask you then, Ivor Cummins, on this one, just in relation to, I mean, every country in the world bought into the same process that Ireland did, so we're not alone in that regard. And like the United States, whilst it might have been a basket case, I mean, they bought into it as well. They brought in restrictions, they brought in flight restrictions. So is everybody in the world wrong then? Well, there's so many facets to this. So on lockdown effectiveness, broadly speaking, yes, incorrect. Uh, And I refer to the China there. On the mask effectiveness, it's a similar story. But again, we've got to come back to the world now is an interconnected place. The WHO was handed the baton. So if the WHO was wrong, in a sense, that wrongness will cascade down. And very quickly you get into academics who are a lot of them are funded by industry, you know, pharma and others. And when the narrative is set powerfully from the top down by influential bodies, it's quite easy actually for for the dominoes to just fall. They bring in censorship. Well, but and then we're just going, what you're seeing then is the people who are effectively in control here and that have been revered indeed for the amount of work they've put in are following like sheep. 
Well, there's certainly an element of, of herd mentality here. Uh, there's no doubt about that because the facts conflict so powerfully on many fronts with the narrative. So I mentioned the death rates. I'll also mention a key thing. Sweden did an absolute sterling job. They only had 300 per million people excess death over expected approximately, which is 0.03%. And they were around the age of life expectancy. And Sweden did no lockdown, no masks. And now their economy, I just see it's come out in Bloomberg, is actually going to be bigger than it was when the pandemic started. So they've played an absolute stormer. But would you or anyone realize that by not doing lockdowns and masks, they actually came out with one of the lowest mortality excesses in the whole of Europe. That's a fact. Mm. Um, vaccine then, finally, Ivor Cummins, what's your take on the vaccine? I mean, we've always had the flu jab, whether you avail of it or not, we've had the flu jab uh, down through the years and the various variants of that. Uh, so what's your take on the vaccines? Well, the vaccines are interesting. I never took any interest in vaccines over my eight or nine years, and I was involved in various medications like the statin class. When I went to China a few years ago, I got a couple of jabs for China vaccines, and I didn't even ask what they were. So I couldn't care less about vaccines. However, this one is under emergency use authorization, EUA, and the trials don't finish till 2023. So what appears to be happening is a massive overdeployment of an emergency use medication. And probably the key point here, Keith, is the vaccines in real world data and even the CDC in America have acknowledged this. They don't really have much effect whatsoever on transmission. So we saw that in the Israel not on transmission, but on reducing the amount of people in intensive care units and getting very sick. Exactly. Precisely. So the emergency use authorization should be used for those who can benefit, i.e. the tiny percentage of susceptible. But what we're seeing now in Ireland and around the world is the deployment to young people. Now, just a quick fact. In Ireland over a year and a half and multiple seasons with huge PCR positivity. So the virus was everywhere. Under 25s had approximately one in 500,000 risk. And to be honest, if you only included healthy under 25s, it would be lower. So it's getting into lightning strike risk. But the Johnson & Johnson leaflet and other leaflets with the vaccine show one in tens of thousands risks of serious clots, etc. So the risk reward of the medication for them would appear to be from the data absurd. So the reason they're being given out is for transmission. But we've just said and we know that transmission effect is minimal. So there is no logic to the rollout. Now, again, well, we've, been told, we've been told that either though. I mean, we've been told that even I've got my two vaccines and I had back in January, February, I had um, the COVID virus and it wasn't a very pleasant experience and all that. But we were told that I can still transmit it, I can carry it on my hands, I can carry it, you know, we can, we can still do all of that. But I mean, surely, I go back to my question, and I mean, is the whole world wrong? And Ira Cummins is right. Well, actually, I joined with uh, around 60,000 professors and scientists and medical doctors who signed the Great Barrington Declaration. So it's not just Ivor Cummins. We have an Irish group and we have 25 doctors and surgeons who signed a white paper with 50 references we published last September. Uh, and we have groups like Heart in the UK, again, doctors, 
Pandata, groups all over the world. The problem is censorship. So instead of an open scientific discussion, which is the lifeblood of science and the only thing that gets you to the correct outcome, we have censorship. So I have invited anyone in Ireland, including uh, the professors who are on the 24-7 media, uh, to a debate. And I invited over a year ago, and I continue to invite. And that would sort out the wheat from the chaff. Because if you bring up a scientific claim and you do not allow debate on it, a group think can go out of control utterly. And I think, sadly, that's what we have here. And it's fueled by interests that are corporate. Unfortunately, it's natural and institutional bodies where it's always in their self-interest to go towards hysteria rather than rationality, you know, sang-fraud, common sense, and viewing the data impartially. All right. Listen, there's no censorship on this programme. You'd be glad to know, Ivor. Listen, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. And um, thanks. for. uh, Where can they get further details? Somebody wants to know on this. Have you a website or somewhere they can go to? Well, you can search my name and you'll quickly see my YouTube. And actually, we have an hour and 10 minutes panel debate, which we did. It's on my YouTube uh, with Irish business leaders, uh, lawyers and doctors, surgeons. So that'd be a great way for people to get an overview. And uh, again, maybe I could come back and debate any of the Irish professors in an open debate in your program. That Absolutely. would be much better than me just venting here. All right. You're not venting. You're, you're, you're talking to me. You're not <laughs> venting at all. I will come and thank you for joining us. And if you want to, you can I-V-O-R-C-U-M-M-I-N-S. That's C-U-M-M-I-N-S if you want to get further details there from there. We just decided to balance it all. Now... Keith, a very interesting and great listening to Dr. Ira Cummins. Thank you, Keith, for that. Keith, perhaps I'm stupid, but surely the lower death rate that your guest speaks of is a direct result of the measures taken to suppress the virus. Had it been allowed to run rampant, that number would have been much higher and we would be battling much more worse variants now. Oh my God, Keith, what a non-gentleman you have on the programme. This is a pandemic affecting all people, young and old. He's going on like it's a bad flu. Is he trying to brainwash people? Cop on and stop talking rubbish. And another caller said, at last, Keith, a voice of reason. Uh, Keith, fair play to you for having Ivor Cummins on. I never heard such a qualified, educated person talk against the media and government narrative on COVID-19. It was very interesting. I don't think RTE will have him on. Are these people against Ivor, against opposing views on all other topics or just COVID, I wonder? Do they also realise that Ivor is an expert too, not just an ordinary person who depends on the media and the government to tell them what they want from there? And another caller said, Keith, well done on having Ivor Cummins on. He really did give us food for thought. He talked a lot of sense. People have been listening to what the government have been saying over the past two years. Uh, Let's listen to some common sense at this stage. Uh, Ivor Cummins is not qualified peddling pseudoscience and false claims. And it goes on from there. With regard to Ivor Cummins, uh, Keith, he made perfect sense. And it's unbelievable that there's no open debate regarding the COVID restrictions on mainstream stream media. Thank you, Keith, uh, from there. Uh, Keith, you're getting a bit of stick from people because they can't handle the truth. So says uh, Susie in Galway. And another gentleman said here, uh, Keith, you're giving that uh, man oxygen. Um, you're challenging him well, but we don't need... Trumpism poisoning the heartache, switching channels now, uh, this uh, caller said. 
And another caller said, why are you giving this uh, man a platform? Haven't we had enough misinformation about COVID already? Very interesting and great listening uh, to Dr. Ivor Cummings, uh, this uh, caller said today. And uh, Keith, probably it's a good time um, for Ivor Cummings to come on to give us a little bit of food for thought, uh, this caller said. Uh, we need this food, uh, food for thought. And uh, Keith, you do practice censorship because you didn't give Ivor Cummings enough of time. Now that's rich. Don't forget to subscribe and also to hit that little bell icon to make sure you're informed and get to counter some of the more corporate style science that's out there. So all the links are in the description box below and also really appreciate all my PayPal and Patreon supporters and anyone else who can continue to support me to provide all the material that I do, it's highly appreciated. So thank you.